They're coming on strong. Derek Wetmore is here from 1500ESPN.com and the Touch Em All podcast. And to think we buried him. Well, we, listen, you came on these airwaves last Monday and basically said, I don't even know why they should, they shouldn't even go on the road trip. It doesn't even make any sense. So did you handwrite your apology or are you going to just sort of make it up off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, it's an impromptu apology session. I, I learned something over the weekend. I, I actually, I wasn't able to watch the game live yesterday, so I taped it and I was... VHS this or is behind, DVR? Yeah, yeah, I actually, beta. Yes, I had them running beta tapes. What are beta tapes? I was, uh, I was out at, uh, well, just whatever, a barbecue, and so I ended up watching the game much, much later in the day. So I, I get home to a bunch of tweets, I told you so, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, what happened? Like They must oh, have won man. four games on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> did they erase this entire deficit? And so anyways, I watched the game. I'm up till... 12.30, 1 o'clock, writing and finishing up the newsletter, and I got my five thoughts column on the website for you guys. And I came to a realization in those the wee hours of the morning. It just it dawned on me. You guys ready for this insight? Yeah. Wow. I'm on the edge of my seat. I found out that the White Sox are a bad baseball team. They're wow. very bad at baseball. Yeah, that's that... Uh... It just came to I, me. I need a minute to process it's this. Just, how did you I realize that? One of those Rain Man moments where you're just sitting up there a little delirious and yeah. kind of slap happy, and you're thinking all of these numbers just start to make sense. Whoa, 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 it's whoa. almost like the White Sox are one of nine teams that went into the year trying actively to <laughs> trying lose baseball. To lose. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. So if, if you're saying that, are you discrediting Joe Maurer's savvy ability to score from third on, on a ball? Hit to the third baseman, you know in, which, in which the third baseman had no clue what to do with the ball? <laughs> you know what? Are you discrediting Maurer? And he never should Hater. have been at third base in the first place. I gave Maurer credit in the column. I think that it was smart, heads-up base running, but you won three out of four games against the White Sox, and now everybody wants an apology, including you, Phil. A little, uh, little hypocritical, I think, for you to dig in on your takes, and then when one thing starts to tip in the opposite direction... Ask Wetmore to make an apology. Well, I'm not there yet. Well, here's the, here is the this is a reality. The Indians have left the door. If the Indians had gotten off to the same start as the Yankees or even the the Angels or the Astros, if the if the Indians weren't 17 and 17, if they were even 21 and 13 right now, you'd look at this thing and you'd say, "All right, yeah, it's congratulations, Twins. At least mm. you're not you're not embarrassingly buried." Uh, but right now, the Twins and Indians are tied in the loss column, and their best is so early to be talking about playoffs right now. It just turned May, so this is ridiculous. But the Twins' path right now, as it stands, is much better through the Central yeah. than the Astros right now in the second wild card spot, right. which are eight games up in the win column. Anyways, like it's ridiculous to even be talking about playoff scenarios. And your and your point from last week does stand in that. If you were to lose eight games in a row to start the season, everybody would have said, "Okay, what time does the 2019 season start?" Right. It's done. See you in Fort Myers. I'm look, I, and I have a column kind of in waiting. I, maybe it's published today. Maybe it's another day. But like, there's still reasons to watch this Twins team. This is still a good baseball team. My point from a week ago, and I think this is going to get missed. And now that I'm the guy that that put a fork in them first, is. They just dug such a big hole. You just mentioned, Phil, what's the second wildcard team? The Houston Astros? The Houston Astros might win 100 games this year, okay? So if we're talking about that wildcard spot, my guess is it doesn't go to Houston, but the point it, it, stands. The Angels probably switch And the Angels here. are great. It, 
if the if the Angels got off to a bad start and the Indians started on fire out of the gates, I I might feel better about this. I might say like, oh, you know what, hanging around in the wild card. I don't think the Twins have a chance in the Central. I don't think the Twins can dig out from the hole they dug for themselves in the wild card. Yeah. I'm. I understand the want for an apology. I'm not ready to write it just Short, yet. very, very short term here. Mm. Go to St. Louis and, and go out west and do something, sure. and I'll re-engage more. Sure. As long as the Central is, aside from Cleveland, as long as the Central is playing the Central, I'm having a problem engaging sure. because the White Sox and Royals are horrific. But, but the reality is, and this is why, it, this is why I do think it was premature to say that the season's just over when you have 41% of your schedule going into the week against these putrid teams. Um, so like you're, you're going to have series where you take three out of four from a tanking White Sox team. The Royals didn't go into the year tanking, but they're definitely among the teams that are, you know, bottom five in baseball. So you're, even if you aren't as good as the angels, let's say in the West, you get to beat up on worse teams. You don't have to apologize for that. And therefore, the Twins have at least taken their season off life support by taking three or four from the White Sox. And now we see For what sure. happens when they face better competition. And let's be honest, should have been four. You should have walked four. off. Like you oh, should have won that game. Yeah. Absolutely could have You're won that game. Nothing. And so yeah. here's what I'll say to Judd, who said he'd re-engage if they play better against actual baseball teams instead of the junior varsity White Sox. I'm saying that I'm not disengaging from this season. Like I'm still going to be. I, I taped the game and was up till after midnight doing columns and getting ready for this appearance. It's still a fun baseball team to talk about. They just have so much ground left to make up. And I, I think to your point, Phil, it's too early to talk about this stuff, but we learned a lot about these teams last year and in the offseason. I think we tend to forget that. We talk about things, yes, prematurely, like in December we think we know who's winning every division, and, and that sometimes turns out to be silly, but but other times we know who the really great teams are. And I think we're seeing that play out. But then the season starts, and hope springs eternal. And optimism reigns all throughout spring training, and March 29th rolls around, and all right, everybody's zero and zero. I think we spend, I think we spend too much time figuring out what we think about these to then just ignore everything after opening day. Well, sure. So I'm, I'm building this argument that I'm still standing by. If you can't tell, I'm digging my heels in. I'm building this based off what we learned last year and in the winter, and now I'm adding in the first month of the season, first five weeks of the season as as seasoning on top of that. Okay, we know where they are in the standings. We know what we think about them. Maybe we have to adjust for some teams, but I just don't think you can go over dramatic in the first four weeks either way. I prefer to see this as as reprioritizing your expectations. Okay. So the most positive okay. thing I can say is you reprioritize your expectations. That's like we should get a T-shirt for the state fair. That's what I. That's that's my because because you because you're right. I'm not done with them. Yeah, yeah, Dave yeah. Winfield. You, Dave Winfield used to call slumps. He said they're not slumps. They are periods of statistical adjustment. Sure, sure, right, right. So it's a long it's, one here. Um, that should be a t- state fair T-shirt too, if we're being honest. Period of statistical adjustment. One thing that Judd and I were were debating, Judd has written off Kyle Gibson, mm. is just now getting back into maybe mode. Um, I needed to see a lot this season from him. I think, and, and credit, if, if Kyle Gibson has turned a corner, Derek was the first one to jump on that in August last year. It's pretty rare that a pitcher changes his trajectory at age 30. It doesn't happen very often, unless that pitcher came up Late, if a guy's been in the big leagues for as long as Gibson has, yeah, you pretty much are what you are for the most part at age thirty. 
I think we have to at least consider that a change in regime, a change in coaching, and a change in philosophy has led to some sustainable things here. I mean, Kyle Gibson is getting a lot more swings and misses. His strikeout rate is almost double this year, What it, and maybe it comes down, but yeah. uh, almost double this year what it's been the, the previous few seasons. So, and, and I'm preaching to the choir here because you were one of the first people to call this last year. Need to see more, but it, it, it's an interesting set of circumstances here for Kyle Gibson. It's not fluky. Totally. I, I think that Kyle Gibson's a better pitcher. He's flat out a better pitcher than we came to know. And that change started mid year last year. He got sent out to the minors a couple times. And I think it was, I think it was a moment of reckoning for him. It, I don't even know if I'm using that phrase right, but I, I think That's they pretty deep, but sat sure. him down and we're like, Hey man, like what, what do you want out of this thing? What's your, where is your career headed? You want to do things a certain way. And he's been this sinker slider guy his entire career. It worked at Mizzou. He was a first-round draft pick. It worked up through the minors. He shot up to the Twins. And then it just kind of, like, didn't work. There are just good hitters in the big leagues, and they can take those pitches and really drive them, and he's not striking guys out. And not that he had a walks problem, but he had a contact problem. He had a loud contact problem. That's This is my perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think you get humbled a little bit. You're a big league veteran, and you get sent down to the minor leagues, and you have to start to think, well, what? What do I have to do here? I've been doing it this way. I've been working so hard. There's no question that he's put the work in, but it's just the results aren't there. So I think last year he went back to the drawing board. He changed a little bit. I wrote about this. You mentioned in August, Phil. He started using the four-seam fastball, which he pretty rarely used. It was just kind of a, uh, I should show this every once in a while, two-way. This is my driving force pitch. I am a four-seam fastball guy who also has that running two-seamer, and it plays up both of his breaking pitches and the changeup. Kyle Gibson, to me, now has the stuff of a mid-rotation starter, and he's he's starting to implement it, and we've seen that the past few starts. Do you think he adjusted mainly, or is this, yeah, he adjusted, but somebody got to him, too? I think it's both. Because it does appear as if the, the approach changed drastically enough that somebody approached him and said, Kyle, all the stuff that you were taught... For years here, mm-hmm. let's put that let's put that aside and let's try something new. I think it's both. I, I think it builds on what he's been taught for years because he's still. You listen to him talk about, and, and it's not just a twins thing. You hear Joe, Jake Odorizzi talk about this too. Early count outs. Gibson's philosophy comes from the Mizzou pitching staff, and I think that their philosophy is three pitches or less, which is ridiculous, by the way. I'm fine with it. If if but then you're but then by definition you're pitching to contact three pitches or less. If you're trying to say, get ahead instantly, don't dilly-dally around, and then be the aggressor in the count. And look, if it's four pitches, well, fine, whatever. But If, if, you're, but if, if you you're, take it to the logical extreme, I, it's dumb, because then you'd be up 0-2 and be like, well, I don't want to fall it off, so here I'll give up a dong. No, it's drive the count, be the aggressor, get to favorable pitchers counts, and that opens up your entire arsenal. So I'm actually okay with it if you interpret it correctly. I think Gibson is now building on top of that. Plus, he adds some swing and miss stuff. Plus, he sets up his secondary stuff with a much better fastball, but, which is the four seamer. So, so here's the thing, though, and this is I brought up the Anthony Swarzak quotes from like a month or two ago, where he talked, and, and that was a second round pick by the Twins, and he had a mid '90s fastball mm-hmm. as a young kid, and the Twins developed him into this. Hey, we want 90 pitch complete games. That, that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to pound the zone early. And we're looking to we're looking to use the second baseman and the left fielder mm. to help convert those batted balls into outs. And and he just started throwing 
sinker type pitches into the swing zones of hitters because that's what you do as a twins pitcher. And by the end of it, he was unusable and had to go pitch in Korea mm-hmm. and then learn how to get swings and misses with other organizations. So I think with Gibson, like it's very telling that Kyle Gibson has the worst walk rate of his entire career so far this year. And he's also having the best season of his career. It's not that walking hitters is advantageous, but it's that any pitching coach from any philosophy would advise you to get ahead in the count. Mm -hmm. So that's a baseline prerequisite. It's once you're ahead in the count, are you still pitching to that contact? Or, like Gibson is this year, are you throwing stuff that's that's more chase-worthy? Yeah. Um, Are you willing to walk a guy in order to get that swing and a miss, you know, five times out of ten? And and it looks to me like he's more willing to throw stuff out of the zone or 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 make hitters take a good pitch that's yeah. breaking out of the zone or moving out of the zone. Well, I talked to him last year about that very same premise, and it's a it's a fine line. Like you're towing a razor's edge here with that point, Phil, because yes, you want chase stuff, but if you're only featuring chase stuff, you're becoming a walk artist, and that becomes problematic for a guy like Gibson. What he's trying to do is get outs in the zone, and I actually applaud him for that. I think he's going to get hit hard sometimes. I think he's going to give up some walks, but if he's attacking the strike zone, if he lives there, and then take what he says, which is, I need to live in the strike zone, and yes, some chase stuff is great, but he's not actively chasing swing and miss. I I know that to be true for a fact. But then you watch him pitch, and it's like, when he's up 0-2, 1-2, what's he doing? A left-handed batter, he might run that little front door two-seamer, start it at his shoulder, and have it try to dive back over the plate. Or he's starting it off the plate and having it run away so there's a 0% chance of allowed contact. That's that's impressive use of a two-seam fastball after you've set it up. He can do that with any of his pitches right now, I think. That's what I saw yesterday in his start, which was you have set up this hitter to be expecting maybe three different pitches. And then if you drop that slider in the dirt, well... You've got him mind-melted, and all right, he had to protect against that fastball. Now you get swing and miss. Now you get chase stuff. That's what I think I'm seeing from Kyle Gibson is that he's getting ahead in the count, and then he's driving the action. Yeah, and I think just, just to wrap this point, we got to take a break. We'll come back, talk more Twins with Wetmore. The Twins, for 15 years, philosophically, were all about not walking opposing hitters. And yeah. again, I'm not saying that, say. like you should look to walk hitters because it's bad. If you put hitters on base at a high rate, and then you're not also – Coming back with the other you know, end of it, which is strikeouts, hmm. then it's it's going to be a problem. But for so long, it was like the only thing pitchers thought about was got to throw the ball in the zone, throw the ball in the zone, got to make sure we're not walking anybody, not walking anybody. You know what? Sometimes it's okay to walk. It's okay sure. to throw pitches out of the zone and make hitters uh, it, it make hitters see a wider zone for which you're throwing the baseball yeah. into. So let's come back, talk more twins. Derek Wetmore is hanging out with us from the Touch Em All podcast and 1500ESPN.com. Hey, uh, so you you are going to publish a column with eight reasons for optimism mm. about the, the twins still got to balance it out. And well, here's the thing: you don't necessarily have to go down the path of of buying into the fact they're a playoff team, but that doesn't mean that you need, need to completely bail. So, give me your your top reasons for optimism and to continue to watch this yeah. team as they uh, start a so two I, game against the Cardinals. Before you do this, okay. I feel like you guys are framing this like, okay, if you're a Twins fan, you're going to watch the games. So, like, just, like people right, are going right. to watch games. I was just going to say that. So, to say that like, that, like, people are on the cusp of not watching a Twins game is an unfair characteristic but of hold what on Twins a second. fans are sitting right now. But is it? Because I've had two types of people ask me these questions in the first four or five weeks of the season. Hell, how yeah. are the Twins doing? Oh, I kind of like, you know, there's the, I watch every game, 
what are you guys going to talk about on Mackie and Judd yeah, this no. week? But then, but then, that's who you're talking about, Phil. There are the people who are Vikings fans or just kind of like, you know, whatever. They're Minnesota sports people who watch 10 games a year and they kind of want to know, like, oh, should I like, should I, do I need to start paying attention? No, I agree. I think my question is, is this list eight reasons for optimism that they can get to the playoffs no. this year? Sorry, that, that ship has sailed. It's, eight, it's, eight, it's, it's, it's eight reasons to remain engaged. That's right. These are I got you, I got reasons it. why I'm watching this yes, team, and I'm fine despite the fact that I told you they're not going to make the playoffs And I will continue year. to watch them no matter how horse bleep they might <laughs> get or how good. Bingo. Okay, you go through your half-optimistic list, and then later I'll give you eight reasons why they can actually make the playoffs. All I'll right. go down that. T- that Panic and Homer, baby. They might be, they might be pretty Panic similar Homer. lists, actually. To, to rule them out at 13 and 17 is very spicy it's very it's a spicy. spicy take it's a spicy take and what do i win when i'm right a little mustard that's fine a little you, extra dijon on there i like that horses horse you, you may right, very ahead. well be right Sorry. so reasons to stay engaged and this is what i'm telling the people who are like going to watch their 10 games a year and they're just deciding should i just watch zero games this year and i say no like this is still a good fun and interesting baseball team and it starts at the top with Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. Like, Buxton could be back kind of soon. What's he going to be? How does he develop? Does the injury impact his development curve? So you can like, watch real to serious? see if those guys are in Fort Myers or if they're in Rochester on their rehab stints. Right, It'll be great. Exactly right. Because they certainly aren't playing for the, the Twins. The Sano storyline to me is incredibly It's juicy. on the list. I think it's great. It's on the list. I heard you use the word He's soap, opera. soap opera. He's a right Yes, now. It, that's accurate. Second on my list is another combined one, but Fernando Romero and Jose Barreos have some filthy stuff and if they can harness it and become two guys that are mid to top of the rotation starters that means something for this year that means something for next year that means something for the year after that i'm watching that i'm i'm not missing a barreo start i'm not missing a romero start rest of the way that is going to be a compelling development whatever whatever happens with those two guys so that's those are two i kind of combined them but uh max kepler I'm just about willing to admit I was wrong that Max Kepler can't hit lefties. He's crushing everything right now. He is one of the best things the Twins have going for them. He seems like one of the more, just in terms of professional and diligent, and maybe I'm stereotyping his stoic personality, but he just feels like a pro, like a guy who wasn't going to go through his whole career without wiping out that lefty problem. Like he probably spent the entire offseason fixing that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, and credit to him. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of development that if you are a, uh, you know, like a mid-pack team, you need those things to break your way. And it looks like the Kepler things break in their way. They've had a lot of things not break their way in the first five weeks of the season. Max Kepler looks like a shining reason for optimism right now. And then after that, it's just like individual players that I'm I'm really curious about. Rosario? One of them's Rosario's not on my list, but he could have made my okay. list. Uh, I think I know what I think of Eddie Rosario. Phenomenally talented hitter. Now he's using the whole field. Line drives everywhere. Makes you scratch your head in left field. Like <laughs> I, th- I think I know that about Eddie Rosario. And Jorge Polanco is on this list because when he comes back, what's he going to be? His career, like he was one of the reasons for optimism this winter, and then that got washed away immediately. We don't talk about Jorge Polanco because he's not here, but like, Eventually, he's good to be back. What is his career? And then the final three are just like, these three guys, they get talked about a lot, but they don't get enough appreciation. Like, you should have an appreciation day for Eduardo Escobar. He's the best thing going for the Twins right now. You should have an appreciation day for Brian Dozier. And if this thing goes off the rail, trade fodder. We can talk about that in months to come. But Brian Dozier is a great baseball player. And as much as we talk about him, I don't know how much we appreciate that. Would you be more likely to 
trade Brian Dozier in the next two months or approach him with a four-year contract extension? Maybe this is for another segment another day, but just quick answer for now. My quick my quick answer would be trade him because I'm worried about the aging curve, but that's and he probably I mean you'd have to blow him away at this point for him to not just yeah, go seek him, out go, free agency. Yeah, in if three you're months, him, right? go see what everybody else thinks of you. You know what the twins think of you. Not enough to extend you. For so sure. not enough to even really converse. Like right? what's the loyalty there, right? So if I'm if I'm the player, don't fault him at all for exploring that. And the final one, this needs to happen. I don't know where he is next year. I don't know if he's playing baseball. I don't know if he's playing in another city. I don't know if he's playing for the Twins. The Twins need to have an official Joe Maurer Appreciation Day. He's reached 28 starts this year. He's reached base 26 times. He's the best contact hitter in the lineup. Best approach Ooh. at the plate. You talk about professional, Phil. An Appreciation Day would, would mean that, that this is the it plan be to be the end. That this is it. You need to have some kind if of you formal, that, thank you, Joe Maurer. What an incredible career, whatever happens next. Or do next. you do that when, when he comes back here with KC next April? April There's, 12th, okay. Joe Maurer Appreciation Day. zero <laughs> chance he extends his career with the Kansas City Royals. Harmon Killebrew did. Exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. And I think they had a Harmon Appreciation go, Day boys. in 1975. Derek, It'll be more. fun. This will be a nice. uh, fun summer.